from the New York City area, welcome to the Badass Counseling Show, where the master badass himself, Sven Erlinson, takes you deep and gives balm for the soul, baby. Yeah, baby. Oh, yeah, we are in the house now. It's so good to have you here. To everyone checking in from around the world, I know that we have people who listen in Nigeria, in South Africa, in Japan, in Philadelphia, and even in Wisconsin. And as a Minnesotan, I must say, I love Wisconsin. If you have never driven through a beautiful state, you have never driven through a beautiful state until you drive through Wisconsin. Those rolling hills, the moraines, it's a beautiful state. Anyway, that has nothing to do with anything. Um, I want to welcome you to the Badass Counseling Show. I am in-house today. We have a very couple of special treats for you today. Uh, first of all, I've got Rob, my tech master next to me. How are you today, Rob? Yo, I'm a little froggy. You were a little froggy last week. I'm sure there's no connection. <laughs> I, and I apologize for that, Rob. You're, no apologies necessary. You I, didn't mean to do it. No, I did not. And a, a rare day that Casey is not in the booth. She's actually here sitting next to me today. Casey, how are you today? I'm great, how are you, Sam? I feel like a million bucks. And what brings you down to mingle with the commoners today? I had to make sure that you and Rob are not kissing. <laughs> obviously you were last week. You needn't worry. Not that there's anything wrong with that. <laughs> I'm sure Rob's wife would disagree. <laughs> I'll check. <laughs> well, it's good to have you with us, Casey. Thanks for coming into the booth or down from the booth. We have an interesting show today. Do you have a narcissist problem in your life? Do you got it? Are you a narcissist? Are you married to a narcissist? Do you have a narcissist relative or boss? Or You're gonna love today's show. An amazing show today. We've got two very interesting guests. A man, a woman who don't know each other. They literally have never met. They have nothing to do with each other. And yet they share a common problem. And we're gonna find out what that issue is. Rob, go ahead and tell us about Amanda. Absolutely, Sven. Amanda wrote to us and said, I'm 33. My paternal grandparents raised me through childhood, while both biological parents are still actively in my life to this day. Bio parents divorced when I was an infant, and bio dad was active military at the time. Since I turned 11, my grandfather turned into a narcissist. He got multiple DUIs and almost killed himself and me by driving drunk. I had to pick him up from jail when I was 17 or 18. I had to learn his quirks and behaviors at a very young age, walk on eggshells around him, and still do. Learned what words I can or cannot say because an innocent conversation would lead to him yelling at me and punishing me for something benign. Praise meant getting material things. Punishment meant taking things away. To this day, he never hesitates to belittle me, yell at me, has reinforced and pushed all my mistakes into my face for my entire life. Claims providing money and materialistic things as love, and that's enough. And shoving down my throat how much of a disappointment and source of headache and problems I am to him to this very day. Now that my grandmother recently passed away from cancer, my entire family reminds me to check in on him because he lost his wife. I lost both a mother and a grandmother that day, and nobody seems to remember that. I was cast aside like I didn't matter all through her funeral. I've been trying so hard to be the better person, but people and forces around me are pushing back, and all I want to do is cut ties with him, but I feel like I can't. Because of his narcissistic loop, he has me stuck. Please, Sven. Any guidance would be extremely appreciated, more than you could ever know. Amanda, it's great to have you with us today. Well, thank you for having me. Good morning. Good morning. 
Rob, tell us about Dustin. You got it. Dustin said, looking back over my life, I am a narcissist. I've always manipulated those around me either for attention or to get my way. It didn't matter to me if the attention was positive or negative. It has almost cost me my wife, my marriage, and has always cost me my joy. I have lied, cheated, and almost everything else you aren't supposed to do. I don't want to live this way the next half of my life. Please help. Dustin, how are you today? I'm nervous, excited, and a little fearful now after hearing who I'm talking to. <laughs> Wait, after hearing you're talking to me or after hearing what Samantha has gone through? Uh, what she's gone through. I hear you. I hear you. Well, we're going to dive right in. I'm grateful to have you here on the show with us and our listeners appreciate your willingness to open up both of you. Amanda, I'm going to start with you and hell of a story. And I'm so sorry that you lost your grandmother and mother, uh, you know, all in one person. I want to ask just first off the bat, you were raised by your grandparents. You said your father was military, your parents divorced and your father was active military at the time. Why were you not raised by your mother? She was not fit to take care of me. So when the time came, uh, she went to my dad's parents and asked them, can you please take care of this child? And my grandparents said yes. And you said you just learned that recently, which implies that your entire life, uh, it was something else. What did you believe or what were you told prior to recently was the reason that your mother did not raise you? I learned that when I was in, in my later teen years, early 20s. What did you believe before that? Or what had you been taught before that? Because you knew you had a mother mm -hmm. and right. And what were you taught was the reason your mother wasn't raising you? That my mom and dad got a divorce. And as a result, my grandparents were then the established parental roles. Did you ever as a child ever wonder why your mother wasn't raising you? Oh, my God, yes. And I asked over and over. And out of the four of them, my grandparents on my dad's side. And my biological dad and my biological mom, all four of them would not tell me until I until they thought in their individual ways that I was old enough to know. And what was your belief then f for the first 18 or 20 years? Exactly that with no other explanation other than mom and dad got a divorce and now my grandparents raised. And me. how did that make you feel just out of curiosity? Because it was such a norm for me, it, it was just kind of sad because I saw my mom on a couple weekends. I saw my dad on a couple sure. weekends, but I just felt different okay. than the other other kids. Because when I say my mom did this or my dad did this, I'm really referring to my grandparents. When the other kids who are like 10 or 8 or first grade, third grade, they're actually they're talking about their actual mom and right. dad. Why did your father, your grandfather, your father, um, why at 11 did he change and turn into a narcissist, get multiple DUIs? Why 11? Why then? Why not when you were five? Why not when you were 14? Why then did he change? Because I've been doing a lot of work over the past, say, two years or so. And my best logical theory is that he was so fucking hell-bent on me not turning into my biological mother. Mm -hmm. Once I turned 11 and I had my first 
menstrual cycle. Mm -hmm. I guess in his head that he thought, now I'm going to be interested in boys and sex. And he doesn't want me to be pregnant as a teen. And it was like a switch went off in his head. And so you said he was hell-bent on you not turning into your biological mom. And you said you've sort of discerned that lately. What did you believe at the time? I'm sure there was a huge what the fuck that started to happen after he turned into fucking Frankenstein or fucking whatever. Yeah. What was the reason that you came up with for why grandpa's such a fucking asshole? I even talked with my grandmother at the time and her and all of my relatives said, well, he wasn't raised in a... That's it. No, that's the, no, that's the answer right there. You already gave the answer. The answer was the first word that came out of your mouth. I would ask my grandmother and I would ask my relatives and they would say, well, that response, just the well, just how you said it and what you said is an indicator that what's about to come out of your mouth next, what came out of their mouth, everything that was going to follow out of their mouths was going to be a defense of fucking grandpa, not of you, of grandpa. So what you just told me with that one word, what you just told me is that there's a goddamn conspiracy. And whether or not they're planning to hurt you, everybody is defending grandpa, which tells me, and, and you tell me if I'm fucking wrong here, grandpa was the ultimate power source in your family, correct? Absolutely. And if they didn't get on his bandwagon, you're about, you would eat all of their shit. And that's what keeps you fucking yep. locked in this ugly loop you even said, you said in your paragraph, and I'm getting to you, Dustin. Don't think you're off the hook here, buddy. I'm teasing. I'm, but I am getting to you, Dustin, all right? I'm going to weave you in here. But you said in your paragraph, my entire family reminds me to check in on grandpa. And nobody fucking gives a shit that I lost my mom and my grandmother all in one person. And, you know, I was cast aside at her funeral. Nobody gave a shit about me then. And all, and all I want to do is cut ties with him, but I feel like I can't. And I'm assuming you feel like you can't because your entire family would likely turn on you. True or false? Absolutely fucking true. And how much are you still looped into him financially? He does not pay anything on my behalf. The only financial thing that is related is that he is by no signed contract. He owns the house that I'm in and I pay him rent because he conditionally gifted the house as a wedding gift when my husband and I got married. And whose who's name is on the deed? His or yours? His. His, His. right. So it's, it's reasonable to assume he'll, uh, and you would be foolish not to consider that option, that he'll yank the fucking house and evict you. It's reasonable to assume he'd do oh, that. Of course. Of course, right. Yeah. Okay, so that, and that's a natural fear, as is having your entire family turn against you. That actually makes total sense. And if you weren't assuming that they will do that, then you're being naive. You need to assume. You may get one that peels off eventually, maybe two, but you need to assume they're all going to turn against him or turn against you, excuse me. Why? Because if they don't, grandpa will turn on them. Mm -hmm. You are the fucking sacrificial lamb sent out into the desert. They're putting all their fucking sin onto you and sending you out into the desert. That's you. Pause on you there, Amanda. Dustin, I wanna bring you in here. You said you've manipulated, I have always manipulated those around me either for attention or to get my way. Didn't matter to me if the attention was positive or negative. Just give me the fucking attention. Almost, almost cost me my wife in marriage. It has always cost me my joy. I've lied, cheated. I don't want to live this way the next half of my life. 
I want to know, Dustin, why don't you want to live this way the next half of your life? If you're being totally honest, not what you think you're supposed to say, but what the real reason is, why don't you want to live this way the rest of your life? I look at my son and I realize that the way I am with people, while it, it served my purpose, I don't want him to go into the world that way. You don't want him to become you or you don't no. want, okay. I don't want him to become what I've, I don't want him to use people in the way I've used people and then to turn around later and realize that none of those people are there for you anymore because you've taken everything you could from them, you know, whether it's emotionally or physically, whatever I needed at the time I got from them. And in the end, my phone is full of only work employees and I have nobody even to call because I've destroyed that. First of all, how old is your son? He's seven. Seven. Okay. When did it hit you that it's just work people in my phone. Fuck, I've lost people. Fuck, you know, I've, when did it hit you? Was it, uh, it today? Was it a year ago? Was it five years ago? When did it hit you? It really hit me about two years ago when my wife and I started having a lot of problems, which I brought on and we had separated. And when we did, I looked at my phone. Mm. There was nobody for me to call, but my mom. And I wasn't going to make that call. Is it re <laughs> we'll get to that. Uh, is it reasonable to assume that when you and your wife hit the problems two years ago and then you guys separated, you said, you know, and I was the problem. That that's a realization I have to believe that came later. You weren't willing to admit that when it happens. Like, no, fuck no, fuck no, I'm not the problem. Is that accurate or inaccurate? That's a hundred percent accurate. So um, and to the point that I went to even her family to defend my position to turn them against her. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, you're like you're like Amanda's grandpa in a way. Scarily. Just younger and much better looking, I'm sure. So then you said at first you defended yourself, you went to try to build a case with uh, her family, etc. When did you know, did you always know, what did it take for you to realize that you were the problem? And what did it take for you to finally admit out loud to her, to the world, you were the problem? I, I've always known, um, since even I was probably around 11 or 12, ironically, <laughs> the age that or the other guest yeah. that had issues yeah. that I operated differently. Um, but it wasn't until I was sitting in my car, I was alone. I had nobody, but essentially my wife who were, were fighting and, and trying to figure things out. At that point I realized this is my action. And I end up going into a mental institution for a 96 hour commit. I called and said, hey, look, I really don't think I'm in a good spot. I need to go somewhere. So you were ready to blow your brains out or something? Uh, I, I, I was a paramedic, and I'm on uh, high blood pressure meds. And at the time, I was on other medication, and I knew what I could mix and what would be easier. So you would have gone the pills um, route. Why would you have done pills instead of, like, slashing your wrists or jumping off a bridge or something like that? Why did pills work for you? I, I was able to justify it in my head because I, I understood the medication. It's like the paramedic part of my brain made it feel less scary mm. because I knew what stages each pills work, how they would work, and essentially this is just how it would go. Right. That makes sense. That makes sense. So, and, uh, okay, so I want to ask, uh, it hits you then, your wife leaves you, or you guys are arguing, and then you're in your car and it fucking hits you like a Mack truck. And then you check yourself into a, um institution, which... Good for you. I applaud that. And to all of our listeners, take a cue from just uh, from Dustin on that. Um, Dustin, that was a courageous act and a smart act because 
more often than not, people, the professionals in there know what the hell they're doing. And, and sometimes in life, we need help from the pros. Um, so I, I really applaud you for that decision. Absolutely. Okay. But I want to ask you this question then. So you told us why you don't want to live this way. And I, I need to highlight for you, Dustin, and for our listeners, how extraordinarily rare it is for a nar- self-admitted narcissist to want to change. And so, Dustin, I have to tell you, that was part of why our producers wanted you on the show. They're like, holy shit, we just found like a unicorn. <laughs> uh, truly, my man, that you want to change, to admit that out loud and to have that that fundamental core realization and to want to change, to be better and to act on it. Not just to want it, but to act on it. Dude, I respect you for that so much. I have so many people listening right now around the world who wish, wish the narcissist in their life wanted to change and was taking steps towards changing. So despite all the pain that you have caused, and you know, we'll get to that, where you're at right now, even if it costs you your marriage or whatever it comes in terms of that, in terms of what you're you trying to walk better in the world, you trying to be a better person for your son and for yourself and for everyone else you encounter, admirable. Fucking A1 in my book, top drawer, top drawer. You made this comment that I think would be interesting to a lot of people, and it's interesting to me. I want you to educate me, okay? You said, it didn't matter to me if the attention was positive or negative. I get that, right? Because as long as I'm getting attention, if I'm not getting attention, then it means I don't exist. So even if it's negative attention, at least you're looking at me. At least you see me. But then you go on to say, it's almost cost me my wife, my marriage, and has always cost me my joy. What the fuck does that mean? I always knew, like the bad attention, for an easy example. I knew that when I started that, and whatever ball I was going to start rolling, it was going to hurt. Like there were going to be people yelling at me, disciplining me. There was going to be issues that came from everything I did. From the bad attention. You're talking about the bad attention. Okay, go ahead. That that was kind of the easier way to explain it. Okay, so I knew shit was going to hit the fan. People were going to get hurt. Okay, go ahead. But the other side of it was just as bad because to get the positive attention meant that I had to work harder to get what I wanted. If, if it was something that I knew I couldn't get right away, then I had to, it almost sounds like you hear the long con is what I think of when I say that, mm-hmm. is I have to do this very carefully to make sure I get what I want out of it. And it became such a task because you are stacking lies upon lies and keeping straight with who knows what and what I was doing with each person and how to get them to do the thing I needed them to do that I wasn't ever really happy and smiling because in my head, I was always having to calculate out what I was going for. I was always thinking about what do I want? Wow. Dustin, I have a question for you, but for the moment, let's take a quick break. I'll be right back with more Badass Counseling. Okay, well, you've, you've heard the podcast. You've listened to other people's issues. Maybe you've studied hundreds of Sven's TikTok videos. Time to stop lurking, face your fears. And focus directly on the one person in your life who can benefit the most from Sven's experience and insight. Now, that would be you. Just go to badasscounseling.com and order Sven's book, There's a Hole in My Love Cup. Or check out his many video courses. Sven found a way to help himself out of a 12 years depression. 
It worked for him, and it can work for you too. Check out badasscounseling.com today. This show provides soul counseling intended to entertain and inform and is not medical advice. Now, back to the badass. We are back with Dustin and Amanda, and already I'm feeling so blessed. Uh, And I mean that very sincerely. Uh, We just keep getting blessed with amazing guests and uh, who share just, wow, the stories and and their truths. Dustin, I want to go back to you. Um, You were saying that it almost cost me my wife my marriage and has always cost me my joy. And you, you had said, you know, in order to get that attention, be it negative or positive, Sven, you know, you, I had to pack lies on top of lies and I knew what was going to come and I knew it was going to hurt people. And it was just, if I, I'm going to use my words, it was a lot of fucking work. And I was miserable just trying to keep up this whole infrastructure of lies and work, trying to siphon love and attention from people. Would that be accurate or tweak it? Tell me if I'm wrong. I want that's, I don't mind being wrong. Tell me, put it in your words again, Dustin. What was the hard part? Why did it cost you your joy? You were right on. It was the work. It almost felt like in order to get the attention or the love or whatever I was seeking at the time, I had to give up part of myself almost. I kind of relied it to to almost selling part of your soul Mm. because I had to give up part of myself to be able to figure out how to get them to give it to me. And what is the part of yourself that you had to give up in one sentence or less? What was the part you had to give up in order to steal the attention slash love from everyone else? Humanity. I don't need a sentence. Humanity. And you could feel your humanity? You could actually feel your humanity gone or going? I felt, I started becoming, it felt almost machine-like in life. Mm. Like I I didn't, I got to a point, everybody used to laugh. There was the movie Short Circuit. I, I didn't get happy. I didn't get sad. I just ran program. And I got so good at doing what I wanted and needed to do to get what I wanted that it was a program. I didn't have the emotions and half the time I didn't even enjoy what I got from people anymore because I already knew I was getting as horrible as that sounds. Interesting. It, it was a means to an ends at that point. Wow. Like, okay. I know I'm going to get, this is what I want. This is who I can get it from right now. Go get it. And it's interesting. You used the phrase before a brilliant phrase. You used the phrase, you said, you know, I could get it by being nice. I could get positive attention, but I basically heard you say, but that was so much fucking work. And I loved your phrase. That was the long con. And it was still a con. So even when you were being good or getting attention in positive ways, it was still a fucking con that I'm only going to invest, whether it be the short con of negative attention or the long con of positive attention, I'm only going to invest if I know that my return on investment is going to be significant, that I'm going to invest, you know, two bits and I'm going to get 20 bits back, right? You wouldn't do a long con unless you knew there's going to be a huge payoff, right? Exactly. And that's why I said it almost became machine-like right. because I would analyze those things without the emotion behind. And fundamentally what broke you of the short con, long con, run, just, you know, run the program and being uh, emotionless and non-human is basically, uh, metaphorically speaking, your wife punched you in the face, right? <laughs> Almost physically, yes. Okay. But it, it, it emotionally was enough that it, it hurt. And it was more 
losing your wife, the threat of losing your wife, then hurting your kid, right? That broke, that snapped you? Yes. Okay. So, and this, I, I, it'll sound, it sounds cruel to even say, but she had, I, I have the most invested with my wife. Mm-hmm. So to lose that is essentially like complete failure for a narcissist. I mean, the one thing I did the most for was done. Boil it down or put it on a macro level or an uber granular micro level. What really was it that caused the price of losing your wife to be greater than the price of losing your child or harming, continuing to siphon love and attention from your child? What was the price if you lost your wife? What really did you lose? At that point, I lost what I consider to be my whole life because that has been the longest investment that I've had with somebody, whether it's been the most healthy as far as to go back to the idea of a long con, that's the one that's paid off for years and years. We're talking 21 years. So how, so, do, so how do we know that this change that you want isn't a longer con? How do we know it's real? Because I told her before I told anybody else. I've admitted to anybody that will talk to me that I am a narcissist. And I, I, it sounds weird when you say I'm admitting it, mm-hmm. but the reality is I've never said I was Right. Everybody else knew. Yeah. Right. But but to to say those words was probably the hardest thing in the world to say. And to go back to the people that I've used and and I can't make amends for it, but to recognize that, to talk to them and say, look, you'll never want to talk to me again. I get that. But this, what I did is wrong. Right. And And that's, that is an indicator of change. And that is an indicator of somebody who's been humbled, knocked low by the gods, broken down. And then, and then obviously what has to come out of that is changed action, which I hear you saying you're doing, trying to, I mean, hell, you wouldn't be on this show, you know, under sort of my guns, unless you were, uh, <laughs> unless you were it, wanting it, to change. Nobody walks into this shit show. Go ahead. What? It still terrifies me because that has been a part of my life mm-hmm. so long. And I think that's why I reached out is because I'm, I know I need help mm-hmm. because I, I've operated that way for so long in my life that I know that if. I don't understand it better and don't get help. I'll slip back to that easily because it's what I'm familiar with. And I don't, I don't know that. That's right. And see what, what the real issue is here is the reason you are this way is precisely the reason that Amanda is where she is right now. And I'm going to bring Amanda back in here in two seconds, but ultimately it's the messages that you got as a child that you, you know, you said, I've been manipulating people my whole life. Well, if you are naturally getting love poured into your love cup on the regular and being treated as if you matter and, and not as if that you do matter and that you're good and that you are wantable. If you had been getting that, there would be no need to manipulate, to get attention, to get some sort of love. There'd be no need. So the mere fact that you're having to manipulate, you said all your life. And from a young age, 11 or 12, I've known what I was doing. Well, if you had the realization at 11 or 12, that means it had been going on for some time. But you were doing it because you had already been conditioned to believe that you didn't matter. You had been, you'd come to the strong realization, I'm not getting my needs met. I'm insignificant. And that's precisely what we're seeing with you now, Amanda, aren't we? Amanda, that you're, you have been conditioned to believe, Amanda, that you don't matter. I mean, your entire family is lined up against you on the side of your grandfather. Is that accurate or inaccurate? Very much true, yes. What's it like for you, Amanda, to hear Dustin's story and to hear him talk and 
and the breakdown and so forth. What's it like for you to hear that? I agree with you 100%. I was thinking that he was a metaphoric unicorn before you spoke those words. <laughs> <laughs> and then when you spoke them, I'm like, oh my God, I just thought that. And um, I forget if you said it or or if he said it about when he admitted that he is and how many people would dream of the narcissist in their lives if only they could also. Mm -hmm. I just dream also for me if he could too. And you're crying right now, it sounds like. What are the tears? What are you feeling? Tell me what you're feeling, please, Amanda. I love my grandfather so much. For someone to take in a child and raise them and then in their most impressionable years of their lives, do what my grandfather has done, told me if I ever got pregnant, <laughs> he would disown me. He, I would have to walk on eggshells just because he was in a bad mood. There's so many stuff that, I, that he's done that I can't even think of at this moment and, okay. almost killing, and almost killing me because in that moment, alcohol was more important than my safety. With all the mixed messages, like how could, I, I just don't understand. But to hear Dustin's uh, re responses to everything, I applaud him so much. And I just wish my grandfather had an ounce of realization that Dustin has. And I, and I applaud him. Yeah, I, you and me both. And I applaud you, Amanda, for having the courage to just put your story out there and to admit what's happening and and to feel the enormity of knowing your entire family is against you so your grandfather set you up loved you for 11 years loving home all that and then you hit 11 you have your first period i believe is when mm -hmm. right and that's when everything changed and then he turns into this monster who almost killed you and himself by driving drunk in a way, by him doing that at 11, it almost invalidates all the love that he had given you for the first 11 years. But I know it was real. I experienced it. But it's like now he's a monster. Do you ever wonder when your husband's going to leave you? Does how your grandfather treated you, the primary man in your life, cause you to question love or never fully trust it? Or have you sort of gone past that? I was fortunate enough to be able to go past that because my biological dad has always been my best friend. My dad, he has, in my opinion, been the best dad that he can be. I can go to him with any questions. He validates me, my, validates my feeling as if my grandfather should, but doesn't. Mm. And I never have to question if my husband is going to leave me or not. Um, funny funny thing is my husband has a nar a narcissistic mom mm. and he went full no contact he did you know uh he said his healthy boundaries she continued to go past them you know so he just went full no contact and going through my process and his process him and i both sat down and watched your youtube 
videos and your TikToks. And we sat there together side by side watching each one, you know, trying to go and work through our own shit together, helping each other, you know. I love that. To be able to do that together and to have your spouse understand what the fuck you're going through because they've lived it themselves. I have to believe there's some measure of hope or empowerment in seeing your husband do it with go no, no contact with his family, even though your family is aligned against you and you know that you will in all likelihood lose them all if you go against you know the tyrant sitting on the throne, your grandfather. Um, although it doesn't sound like you would lose your biological father or would you? Because it's his dad. Exactly. And that's part of this weird complexity of, of it all. Because one day I would have a conversation of, of my grandfather with my dad. And my dad would be like, yeah, he's a cheapskate. And, you know, he never gave me these things as when I was a kid. But he's, you know, bought you two cars and all this. And Wait, he, your dad said that to you? Yeah. Oh, uh -huh. so your dad's expressing his jealousy and the fact that he yes. felt cheated by his own father. So in yes. short, then, if you were to turn against grandfather, would your dad turn against you or not? It's a 50-50 shot. If you were to guess, though, you know him as well as anyone. What does your gut tell course. you? My, my gut says that my dad would because he has that mentality of because my grandfather has done one, two, three, four, five and providing me with. Right. More than he provided him. Yes, but in addition to that, my grandfather has supported me fine financially with um, college and cars right. and all that, which I never even asked for. Right. That he deserves respect and that he deserves this and this and that. So let me ask you a question. Did you ever in your life hate yourself? Yeah. And how do you presently hate yourself? Or what percent do you hate yourself? If you're to be totally fucking honest. Yeah. If I had to put a number on it, I would say I would hate myself about 30%. 30%. Fair, fair answer to an honest question. And what is the highest amount percent that you have ever hated yourself? The highest ever, ever. I think would be ever would be about 90. 90%. And how old were you when that was the case? Mm, late 20s. Late 20s. Late. So that's recent yeah. mm -hmm. because you're 33 right yeah. now. Yes. For the 33 years of your life, what is the average percent that you have hated yourself? Roughly. Uh, maybe about 40. Okay. So as recently as roughly four or five years ago, you hated yourself 90%. I have a rather interesting question for you. And it's, I'm going to ask you right after our break. We'll be right back with more Badass Counseling. My best friend made me listen to some podcast, said it had blown her away. So we listened to a lightning round of the Badass Counseling Show together. All I can say is, wow, first podcast I'd ever listened to. Now it's my addiction. If you haven't done it yet, you need to subscribe to the Badass Counseling Show. Now back to more Badass Counseling with Sven. We are back with Amanda. Amanda, you've told me just now that presently, in a, in a very open uh, admission, that you presently hate yourself about 
And it was at its peak. The self-hatred was at its peak uh, in your late 20s at 90%. And you have a lifetime average of you're batting about 400. So you're about 40% over the course of your lifetime uh, of self-hatred. Um, I got to ask, what's the percentage you hate your grandfather? I would say that's somewhere between 70 and 80. 70% and 80%. And... Has that increased or decreased over the years? It's certainly increased as the self-hatred has increased. And then it has decreased as my self-hating has decreased. And why would it be correlated to your self-hatred? So as yours has increased, your hatred of him has increased more. Why? Because to me, in my brain, it would seem that the more your self-love increased, that your hatred for him would increase because you're finally allowing yourself to admit your fucking truth. There was never anything wrong with you. And he's been a fucking asshole to you for 22 years. Why would it be tied to when mine goes up, my hatred for him goes up. When mine goes, my hatred, self-hatred goes down, my hatred for him goes down. Why is that? Because he's the source of my self-hatred because it's his voice that turned into my own inner voice. Right, right. So when he does his narcissistic flare-ups, his outbursts, that triggers my fight-or-flight responses. And when he calls me all the name-calling, you know, you're so irresponsible and you're so lazy and all the other adjectives, that's why the self-hating goes up and the hatred for him goes up. But the less fucks I give about what he says, the less I hate him because I'm not listening to his words. And then the less self-hate I have. What we got to do is we got to inversely correlate those. And what that means is your self-love has to go up. And his voice inside of you, it has to be put to death. It's that old Oscar Wilde quote, no man is truly free until he can live as though his father is dead. And your, your grandfather doesn't actually have to be dead. So many people think, well, I can't really be free and heal until, you know, my ex-wife is dead or until my mother passed away or father, whatever. No, the healing can come now, but essentially it's the work of slaying his voice inside of you, which means going back into all those memories from your childhood and allowing them up and all the feelings that were packed in with them, allowing all of those to come up and up, but up and out and to acknowledge there was never anything wrong with you to begin with. There was never anything wrong with you to begin with that that voice was implanted later. It was a fucking lie because he had so much hate and pain and shit inside of him. Obviously, otherwise, why would he be fucking drinking so heavily and driving drunk, obviously? And all he had in his love cup was just shit and crud and it poured out on the easiest target and that was you. You were the scapegoat. You were the one and he was happy to shit on you and he still is. Uh, let me ask you before I go back over to Dustin, what do you ultimately think it's going to take? What fundamentally is it going to take for you to uh, walk away from, do what your husband did, walk away from all of the pain sources in your life, to finally honor yourself, to finally fall in love with you, truly fall in love with the goodness and the beauty of who you are, and honor self and, and walk away? What do you think ultimately, in one sentence or less, do you think it's really going to finally take? I think it's just going to have to be just for me to have the balls to just go either no contact or very selective or limited contact mm -hmm. to limit his opportunities 
for him to keep me in this loop. Right. And and you're going to have to do it with your family too, because they are going to fight even harder to keep you in the loop. They're going to guilt you. They're going to shame you and all that shit. And let me ask you then in one sentence or less, what ultimately is the biggest fear in all of this? That if I do this, what is the fear? That I'll be alone? I'll no longer have a family? Is it fear of them being mean to you even further, even though you don't have to take their calls and you can block their texts or not read their texts and you can, you know, or is it that I'm gonna have to move out of this fucking house because they'll he'll walk in at any moment and we're not safe or what is the ultimate fear that keeps you from doing this? And there's no shame in not doing it. I'm not pushing you to take the action. I'm simply saying, if you were to take the action, when it felt right, what is your biggest fear leading up to that? It would have to be what he's always done, which is him doing his yelling, his outburst and the name calling and all the irresponsible and inconsiderate and lazy and describing all of the opposite characteristics of what I actually am. Right. When I was 21 years old, when my grandparents went on a random errand on a random day with my ex-fiance at the time, I just up and left and moved out of state just to get away from him. Mm -hmm. And as a courtesy, I left a note saying and expressing what I felt that day and that moment. And to this day, he still mocks me and shoves that into my face. Like that was the biggest mistake of one of the biggest mistakes of my life when it was him that I was trying to get out from under his thumb. That's right. And you are going to, and there's so much pain locked up. Every time you bring up all, everything he says and has done to you, you smartly <laughs> start crying. Yeah. That says there's so much emotional charges, so many charges attached to every single memory. You got to start bringing all that up. And, and you know that, I know, because you've read my stuff and listened to my stuff. The journaling, yeah. I strongly recommend the book that I didn't write. I don't get any credit for it, but the Sedona Method, which is a uh, high-powered tool. I mean, you know, as well as my book as well, but uh, that's a tool for just decharging uh, faster. Yeah, you, you're going to have to do that work. You are going to and face those fears, but ultimately you're going to have to discharge, decharge all of those memories. And, oh, and also, Amanda, letter writing too. Have you written him letters that you don't send? I just want to ask, yes or no? No. Do that. That's a huge one. It's so easy. And, and even if you got to have your cup of coffee to get you cranked up to do it or a glass of wine or whatever, whatever, and create space and just vomit everything out. Don't edit. You're never going to give it to him. So you don't have to edit. Oh, he wouldn't like to this, say this, or, oh, my sister would blah, blah, blah. Fuck that shit. Just start flushing and flushing and flushing all the hatred, all the rage, all the anger, etc. Dustin, what's it like for you to sit here and listen to Amanda's story, knowing that you were sort of grandpa, you were sort of her grandpa in a way? What's that like? I've been going between crying and nodding my head because the scary part is as she talks, I can see myself. Mm. And in the way she says things about how he reacts, I can nod my head and understand exactly what he's doing. Mm. It's almost like I, I know the playbook he's using. And that's what's scary is I, I don't know the man. I've never met the man. I've never met Amanda. But what she's saying, I can, I can literally in my head go, yep, use that, done that. That's typical. And that's scary. And why is that scary, Dustin? 
my perspective has always been about myself, mm-hmm. whatever I, it was always an I. Mm-hmm. So to naturally think that I'm something special and different and unique in that aspect of that is almost shattered when you hear somebody else who has somebody in their life who's older, which means he came before me mm-hmm. and is doing the exact same things. And I'm, I'm looking at her crying and going, this is the monster that I, I, I'm not there at his level and it, but this is the monster that I, I'm becoming. And, it, and it's only reasonable to assume that there's a possibility, perhaps even a probability, that you would potentially, to some degree, become that person to your own son and potentially further children had you not been stopped short. Absolutely. Like, I, I can see that. <laughs> to what degree had you already started to use your son to get your own needs met? And I don't mean in any, like, you know, sick, uh, sexual way. I don't mean anything like that. But had you used him to get your own attention, positive, negative attention needs met, whether it's hugs or whether it's, you know, did, did do you like daddy or, you know, did you use your son to get your own needs met? Yes, there have been times that I have. That's some fucking honesty, people. For everyone listening, that's some <laughs> hardcore fucking honesty right there. What are you feeling right now, Dustin? What are you feeling? Let the tears come, man. That's good shit. Let it come. What are you feeling? Disgrace. I'm a father, and I've used my own son to my gain, essentially. Not in, you know, any financial or any, as you said, sick way, but to meet my own needs or what I feel I need. And why is that wrong, Dustin? From your perspective, why is that wrong? Why is that disgraceful? I should be protecting him. That's right. Not using him. That's right. Like he's going to learn from me. And if I'm doing that to him, then I'm not protecting him and showing him there's a better way to do it for other people. That's right. And just as we heard in Amanda's story that her grandfather, basically her father figure, the man who raised her, changed when she turned 11. Granted, he went from good to bad. And it had a profound, long-lasting effect that she is only now coming out from under. And she's, she's likely going to cut off her family by her husband's uh, example, potentially, you can change. And that what you've done, the transgressions against your son, using him to meet your own needs in the past, can be made whole, can be fixed, cleaned up, changed, you cleaned up. And uh, you can lay a whole new foundation with your son. And I hear you doing that by the mere fact that you're having these admissions. I want to ask you, Based on, you said it was hard to sit here and listen to Amanda and the disgrace you feel over admitting out loud, I used my son to get my own attention needs met. And the, and the shame that that brought with it when you admitted it. I, I'm just curious, as an aside, what do you believe the grandfather's play will be if Amanda cuts him off? will absolutely use her family against her. And likely kick her out of the house? Oh, guaranteed. He, he won't want to have her there. He won't want to. It, it would be more hassle for him to come over to harass her than it would be to kick her out because that would be the most painful thing he could do because it, in my mind, when I hear her say that, my first thought is he will because that's the ultimate way of saying I've taken care of you for so long. Now you're nothing to me. Yep, fuck you. You're nothing to me. Well yep. said. Is it safe to say that the reason he would not want her around with is throwing her out is because now she's providing a counter narrative 
that everyone is hearing that has the potential to undermine his power and his getting all the attention. And he can't allow yes. that. I mean, that's a fox in the hen house, right? Yeah, that would not stand for him. He can't risk any of the people. As you said, maybe one or two would peel off. He doesn't want one or two to peel off. Right. He wants to make sure that she stays isolated for her decision to go against him. What is the biggest thing that your wife is wanting from you, for you? What does she need if she's going to stay in your life? To learn how to have consideration for other people and their feelings and what her needs are. Because... I'd always joke that I'm bad at hints because hints, she would hints. tell me her needs. Okay. Yeah, hints. Hinting. Okay. She would say, well, I dropped you a hint. Well, I would say I'm bad at hints, but the reality was I, I heard her loud and clear, but it didn't serve what I needed, so I ignored it. Right. And she deserves to have those things. She does. And I, I love what you just said. I heard her loud and clear, but it's like, no, fuck it. I would just create some sort of lie to keep getting what I want. And this is why when I tell people, when you walk out of that person's life, you know, a husband, let's say, or a wife, if you walk out of your husband's life and say, fuck it, I'm not going to be treated like this, all of a sudden they're going to change completely and they're going to change in every single exact way that you want them, you've always wanted them to change. Now, granted, it won't last. They're just, it's a con, but they will change in every single way that you wanted them. And that's why I always pose the question, so why now? Why are they changing now? They're changing in the exact ways that you've been telling them for 15, 20, or five, or seven years that means they heard you all along. And they could have changed five, if they can change now, they could have changed five years ago. Why the fuck are they changing now? Because they've lost. It's not that they want you back so that uh, they can pour love into your love cup. It's that they want you back and they'll say anything and do anything, even the shit you always wanted them to do because they want you to go back to pouring love into their love cup. Accurate or inaccurate, Dustin? 100% accurate. Wow. 100% accurate. What uh, weighs heavier for you, Dustin, the shame and the guilt you feel of how you've been and the realization of how you've been or the weight of how the fuck do I change? How the fuck do I change it is definitely heavier. And, and what for you is the biggest roadblock or question for how you change? I mean, you've already really, I, from my perspective, blown up the first roadblock, the biggest one, and that is admitting it admitting I'm a fucking ass, or I've been, I'm not at my core a fucking asshole, but I've been acting like an extreme fucking asshole for a very, very long time. So what's for you at this stage of the game is the biggest hurdle or obstacle or thing you can't figure out when it comes to you finally changing who you are? How to keep myself from slipping back into something that's so common. Right. And it is my biggest fear. Yeah, and I understand that. And this is this is where it's very important that you understand, Dustin. And this goes to you too, Amanda, but on the receiving end of it. And that is, we can take bold action behaviors, but our behaviors are up here on the surface. And you guys have heard me say it before, trying to change behaviors never changes behaviors long-term. You have to go down, all the way down. Below behaviors are principles and sort of values, but down below all of that are core beliefs that you've been taught to believe about yourself. And until those beliefs change, even if it's just one tick, tick, turn of the dial, by the time those changes in beliefs get up to the surface, it amounts to radical changes in behavior. It's just like if, if a ship leaves Los Angeles port headed for, let's just say, Australia, and it's off just three or four degrees at the very beginning. By the time it crosses that giant ocean, 
it's going to end up in, you know, southern China or someplace cold, lovely places, I'm sure. But I was planning for Australia, right? Okay. And so it's the same way when you change a core belief by the time with just one degree or two degrees, by the time it gets up to the level of behaviors, it's massive change. But not only that, the change sticks. If you're just trying to change behavior, precisely to your point, I don't know if it's going to stick. I'm fearful I, I, it won't stick and I'll slide back into the same shit that I've always been in the past. And what that means in your case, Dustin, and it's directly applicable to you, Amanda, because it's the exact same thing. You both were conditioned to believe at a very young age, you don't matter, you're shit, you're not wanted. You were conditioned at a young age. Now, the age might vary from when you each got it. It seems like Amanda got it around 11, but it sounds like, Dustin, you got it a hell of a lot, because by ele- a hell of a lot earlier, because by 11, you've already got these behaviors in place, which implies you had been getting that message for a long time. So you started employing whatever means necessary to get the attention you wanted. So this had likely been in place. And so what has to happen, Dustin, is precisely the same as with Amanda. You have to go back into identifying those messages. And I mean, this is why I wrote the book. You guys know this. To help you begin to identify those messages, those core beliefs that you got about yourself. And so I I wanna ask you the question, Dustin, was the main message you got in your life, you don't matter? Or was the main message you got in your life that you're not wanted or that you're not good enough? It was a mixture of, I wasn't even supposed to exist Mm. and I'm not good enough. Oh, wow. Um, One of the running things my mom always talked about when I was younger when they asked about, you know, oh, when people talk about baby stories, how were you born and all that stuff. My dad was an alcoholic and the doctor told my dad if he keeps drinking as hard as he is, he's sterile. So when my mom married him, she made him dry up, which means he wasn't sterile anymore. And so my mom always jokes that I wasn't even supposed to happen. She wasn't ever going to have kids, but my dad lied to it. So I was just here because my dad got sober. Wow. And so what did it, what does it feel like to have that as your base story? What does it make you feel? It means I started from nothing. I wasn't even a thought. I mean, most people, at least when they're together and they're, they plan a baby or even if they're not planning it, they know it can happen. And I, I wasn't even that, like I was even below that, like a non, Non supposed to happen. Period. So it's it's not like I was wanted and welcomed, and my parents were excited and so forth. I wasn't even thought out. I wasn't even anything. No, yeah, my mom had said she'd never planned to ever have kids, and later I found out why. How were you? Were you then treated like a curse? My dad and mom divorced when I was before I can really remember. So my dad was kind of a weekend dad. My mom always had to work even harder now because she had to take care of a a child. So I, I was raised kind of in a, what they would consider like the community idea. Um, we were in a little uh, section eight group of housing and I would be passed to whoever could watch me so she could work. I hear your, your, what you said there, but I want to back up to what you said. You said you never found out why. I did find out why she never wanted to have kids. And what, what, and why was it? In, in the eighties, my mother was already knew that she was gay but during that time frame, it wasn't something that was readily acceptable. Right. So she was trying to marry a man that she knew couldn't get her pregnant so that at least if she couldn't be with a lesbian partner, she wouldn't have to bring a baby into a mix with a, a father and she didn't even want to be with a man. 
So if you were a burden from day fucking one, you, from, I mean, from fucking conception, you were her biggest curse, it sounds like. You were the grand inhibitor to her being free and being able to have the life that she had planned to have as a gay woman in a anti-gay society. Yes. Jesus. And did your father want you or not want you? He wanted me, but his alcoholism was something that never could get under control. So he was never there. He, could, he, he never gave you the love that you needed. He, he would always be the first one. If I wanted to do something, he would find a way to do it. Mm -hmm. There was never a way that would happen, mm -hmm. but people look at me crazy. But I, 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 my biggest memories with my dad were actually as a kid in the bars. I, I grew up in bars more than I did his house. All right. I, that's incredible. An incredible story, Dustin. To feel unwanted by your mother, to know that you weren't wanted. Uh, to sense it, even if you didn't know the reasons at the time, and to know that you were just a tag along. Your dad sort of took you along to the bars because he had to. and But his agenda was the bar. His agenda was the booze. And just, just out of mild curiosity, what was your, from your childhood, what was your father's booze of choice? Uh, red, white, and blue beer. Red, white, and blue beer. So it was beer, beer, and beer, and beer. Wow. He chose, yes. he chose beer over his son. A lot of times. I mean, you were there. I was there. Okay. But, but yeah, we were in a bar. I want to ask you, Dustin, as a self-admitted narcissist who just so admirably is changing, not wants change, you are changing, and who has so much shame and guilt, which you're going to add after you seek, you know, to, after you do your penance of going to those you've hurt, the ones you haven't gone to, or as you continue that process, at some point there will be forgiveness for yourself. There has to be. You have to. But at the root of this is the realization I was a good boy. There was not, it wasn't my fault. None of this, I'm not talking about stuff you did as a narcissist, as an adult. What you were doing at age 11 to get your needs met, manipulating, honestly, I applaud that 11-year-old kid. He was doing what he had to do in a fucked up home where his mother didn't want him from the day he was conceived and where he was sort of an inconvenience for a loving dad on one hand, but an inconvenience for a dad who had obviously his own pain and was running to the bottle. You were just trying to get your needs met, but you were a good boy. The moment you came out of the womb, the moment you were conceived, you're a good boy. There was nothing wrong with you, but you got these underlying messages that you were unwanted and you're not good enough or no good. And it was bullshit from the beginning. That's what has to be healed. That's what has to go in. And all of those memories and all of those messages, you need to start fucking journaling. You need to journal for your life. If you're in therapy, great. If you're not in therapy, I recommend it. But you can do it on your own too. But journaling, use all my free videos as prompts for your journaling. Write letters to your mom that you don't send. And you let everything out. And just out of mild curiosity, I asked Amanda, so I'm going to ask you, how much do you have hatred? What percent do you have hatred for yourself? About 60%. And in a way, that's good. In a way, for the, for the harm you've caused as an adult, that's good. Um, it's good to feel, to be humbled, to be humiliated for what we've done, the pain we've caused. And I've caused more pain than you will ever cause, Dustin. There has to be, you know, penitence. Um, what percent do you hate your mother? If you were to be totally honest. 99 to 100. 
for a long time now, 99 to 100. And what percent do you love your mother? Weird as that may sound. Because so many people think it's either love or hate. But when you're a child of someone, the child still often loves the parent. But you don't have to. I'm not trying to put words in your mouth. I'm just fucking curious. About 40, 45%. That's fair. And all of that has to come out. All of that has to come out. And flush and flush and flush and flush. Because until you open that vault that all your feelings are in, feelings you were never allowed to express, until all of that comes out, you're still in bondage to that pain. I want to ask you one final question, Dustin, and it's simply this. What do you most want to say to Amanda? Considering her story, considering your story, the narcissist speaking to the person who has been, had experienced this brutal life at the hands of a narcissist. Just be honest. It doesn't have to be anything profound, whatever. What do you, what do you want to say to Amanda? I am so sorry that you're going to. That is the only thing I've been thinking every time I've listened about her story is I am so sorry that someone like me has caused you so much pain. It's not right. It's not you. It's, it, it's us. It, it's me. It's your grandfather. It's not you. We, we cause that pain and we, we do it maliciously. And I'm sorry that you have to feel that. It's beautiful. Thank you, Dustin. Amanda, what does it feel like to hear that? It touches my core. Mm. Um, even though I'm bawling my eyes out, uh, mm. it actually puts a smile on my face. Because mm. <laughs> uh, all I want to say to Dustin is thank you. <laughs> and uh, his story gives me hope that maybe one day... <laughs> Mm. my grandfather can get to where Dustin is is now. Mm. Um, I'm not going to give myself any false, false hope, but mm -hmm. I uh, certainly do know that people can change if they, if they choose. Mm -hmm. And that's, and that's the thing is that if they choose, and that means the price that comes with it and so on and so forth. Um, I, that it's beautiful that you say it touches you to your core, does it give you permission on one hand? And I know you maybe already had it, uh, or maybe didn't, whatever, but how does what Dustin said to you, the apology on behalf of himself and the sorrow that he feels hearing your story, does it give you permission to realize that it wasn't your fault, that it's not you, that you're not the problem? Does it aid in growing that permission? Maybe it was already there. How does that affect your relationship with giving yourself permission to realize this isn't my fucking fault? It wasn't there before, and yes, his words does give myself some validation that it wasn't me from the fucking start. From the fucking start, that's right. I, I, I just, I'm just so blown away by this show. I mean, wow. For the record, Dustin, I accept your apology, and mm. it means a lot. Mm. And what do you think of that, Dustin? That actually feels better than a lot of the people I've had to go talk to mm. for somebody to actually accept the apology because mm. most, most won't, most don't want to have two words with me. because there's been so much damage done. Yes. Right. Um, Amanda, I just want to say uh, one more thing to you and that is very often, and, and I don't want to put words in your mouth if this doesn't fit you, but 
you know, sort of as we wrap it up here, I want to say that very often the reason we still want the relationship or hope for that apology is because we want the relationship back. And boy, the reason we often want the relationship back is because then I can get love again. And then they'll give me, meet the needs that they stopped meeting 22 years ago, that they'll finally give me the love I want. And you, there's nothing wrong with hoping for that. But as you yourself said, and I'm going to iterate, and that is, you need to assume that's never going to come. You need to assume that you are alone now. There's a great quote by Richard Bach, an American writer, one of my favorites, who basically says that real family is seldom connected by blood. You may have to, you already are with your husband, but you're building a new family, an authentic family, because in all likelihood, your family is going to turn against you. You need to assume that. If somebody surprises you, God bless them. And hey, celebrate the small victories. But you need to assume that they are going to turn on you and that grandpa's going to turn on you and that you're not going to get your love needs met. And now it's time. And that's simultaneously sad and grief-filled, but it's also liberating because now you can spend your life, rather than spending it contorting to try to win everybody's love, you can now spend your life building a life that you love with people who love you just for who you are, not because you're going so far out of your way to love on them, hoping to get a little bit of love in return. But people who just love you because of the fucking gracious, loving, kind, beautiful-souled person that you are. And I know that sounds heavy and sad and so forth about the idea of you're losing your family, but you've already seen that. That's not news to you. You've seen that with your husband and so forth. Um, but I believe in you, Amanda, and I believe there is uh, new life ahead of you that you can't even see yet in ways you can't even imagine. Joy and love that you can't even imagine. And I encourage, and for you, Dustin, uh, you as well, I have no doubt at all that you're going to heal. I have no doubt at all that Amanda is going to heal. And with both of you though, you have to go into the past. You have to flush out, you have to open that vault and let out all the painful memories from when all the pain started. Keep going back, keep going back, flushing, flushing, flushing. That is where the healing is. I want to tell you both, I am just so grateful that you have been on this show. I know I speak on behalf of the team. Rob, what was it like for you uh, to hear this show and to hear these two amazing guests? One of our more dramatic episodes, Ben, no question. Casey, any thoughts, feelings? I mean, I, I was crying through most of what Dustin was saying. Um, I had, I, I think I'm a little bit surprised because I had... Um, as much empathy for him as I did for her. And that really surprised me because, you know, I think a lot of people would say he doesn't deserve our empathy because of the pain that he's caused. But because he he realizes, you know, so much how much damage he's done, I, I think just my heart went out to him. I, I actually wanted to ask him a question. And my question to him is, I know he said that that part of what flipped his switch were the fact that a lot of people had, you know, left him or his phone was empty. But I have to ask, is all of, of the things that that we see in the media now or, you know, Sven's TikTok or the things that he says, was some of that what sort of named the beast for you and made you have some kind of self-realization some kind of insight into what you were doing to people? Or did that just fall on deaf ears? 
I, I very much had had found Sven's TikToks. I, I can't say that I was ready to really admit it when I was listening to him, mainly because I, I, I just wasn't ready to give up who I was or, or the thought that he could know me when he doesn't know me, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. But as I started looking at what do I do now, where do I go from here? This is kind of a whole new concept to me is to, to try to be different. I, I went back to a lot of those videos. And that's actually why I went to the website and reached out was because I, I started hearing the message, so to speak, more than I was just listening to the words. And it's like, I need to reach out. Right on. I, I just want to say one one more thing to the two of you, and that is that I think that this podcast is going to help so many people. It's incredible what the two of you have done, and this is going to help a lot of people heal. I agree. And Casey, that was a great question. Thank you so much for asking that. Rob, appreciate that, and I agree with you. One of the most gripping episodes we've ever had. Uh, You two, wow, thank you so much. Um, And please stick around after the show. We want to just uh, talk with you a little bit more of it. To both of you, thank you for bearing your souls. I know you're both going to heal. I know you're both going to go in and do the deep work now, uh, more of it and more of it, and just keep flushing it. And I know that a great life is ahead for both of you. I know it. I know it. You would not have done this today. You would not would not have done what you have already done unless you are well on the path. And now you just got to keep doing the work. And the more you do of it, you start to get some momentum and it gets easier to do the work. There's still some things you're going to have to face and so forth. But trust me, it starts to get easier and you get momentum and you start to feel the healing and you start to feel literally physically lighter. The knots in your body start to open up. You find yourself actually laughing someday. And I'm telling you, this change will happen. Just stay the course. You're doing great. And I, I believe in both of you. And I'm so very grateful for both of your stories. Amanda, wow. Dustin, wow. Thank you both. And to all of our listeners uh, around the world, I know that you are all just as in awe as I am and grateful for them. And I thank you, though, my listeners. You're the ones that make this show happen and make it possible. And on behalf of Rob and KC, who is not in the booth today, but down among us, uh, I want to say thank you to everyone around the globe and have a kick-ass day. The Badass Counseling Show is strictly copyrighted. No copies may be made without the express written consent of the Badass Counseling Show, LLC. The Badass Counseling Show is produced by Karen Camparelli and Robert H. Friedman. Executive producer, Sven Erlinson. Original music by two-time Emmy Award-winning composer Trevor Morris. Have a kick-ass day.